Hey friends, welcome back to Real Talk with Rachel. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert, and I'm grateful and honored you've chosen to tune in today. This show is a safe place you can come to hear relevant, engaging, and authentic topics to help you get real, live free, and pursue your God-given dreams. If you haven't noticed, we're living in some interesting times right now. When COVID first hit a few months ago, I randomly received a book in the mail called The Time of Jacob's Trouble. It was no accident at all that that book came at that time because God knew I needed to read it. And I brought the author of that book on the podcast today to talk to you about the end times. And I think you're going to love her message. Donna Van Leer is a New York Times and USA Today best-selling author. Her 14 titles include The Christmas Shoes and The Christmas Blessing, both of which were adapted into movies starring Rob Lowe, Kimberly Williams Paisley, and Neil Patrick Harris. The Christmas Hope, starring Madeline Stowe, was adapted by Lifetime Television, and her movies The Christmas Secret and The Christmas Note, when aired, were among the highest-rated movies in the history of the Hallmark Movies and Mystery Channel. As a Hallmark movie lover myself, I'm kind of over here nerding out. not going to lie. All right, some more fun facts about Donna. She has won a Retailer's Choice Award for Fiction, a Dove Award, a Silver Angel Award, two Audi Awards for Best Inspirational Fiction, has been a nominee for a Gold Medallion Book of the Year, and is an inductee in the Ohio Foundation of Independent Colleges Hall of Excellence. She also serves on the board of directors for National House of Hope, and that is a residency program that is offered in several states for abused and at-risk teens. Okay, here's the fun part about Donna's bio that I loved. Donna's minivan is staring down 200,000 miles as she runs her kids to school, drama, tennis practices, taekwondo, church, and the grocery store, all while promising her editor to meet her book deadlines. I loved that part about Donna's bio because she is real. You guys are going to love her. So let's go ahead and jump to that conversation that I had with Donna. Well, hello, Donna, and welcome to the show. I'm excited to chat with you today. Uh, So great to be here with you, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. You know, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, one thing that I kind of like to do with some of my guests is I like to ask you, what is something random about you? Maybe a fun fact that we would not have read on your professional bio. Oh my. Oh, yikes. A random fun (laughs) fact. I don't know if this is fun. It is super annoying, but I can't read one book at a time. I always am reading three, four, or five books at once. And it is so annoying and so aggravating. I wish I could just pick up a book and read it from beginning to end, but I can't do it. I know there are other people out there like that, and I I welcome the feedback to know that I'm not alone, but it's such an annoying trait about myself. Okay, that's liberating because I'm the same way. And I thought, oh, for, good. at first, I thought it was like a loser or something. So I'm like, why can't I just like go to what, not a loser, but you know what I mean? Like just start right. one thing and take it to the end and then start one thing and take it to the end. And so, you know, but I have heard that great writers are readers. So maybe that's why you're like always reading new, different types of writing. I don't know. So, <laughs> well, I hope so. I'm going to cling to that. Not that it's just an annoying personality trait. Yeah. Of my own. Yeah. 
I also loved your response because almost every single guest has the exact same response when I ask them that question. They're like, oh my, you know, so yeah, it's right. interesting what kind of comes to uh, the forefront whenever we're put on the spot like that because sometimes somebody will say something deep or random and then one time I had a lady tell me she leaves her, her floss laying around the, the house and it, oh my it annoys oh, the family and she was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> she was like, did I just say that out loud? I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you did. Yeah, so right. anyway, <laughs> so. I hope she's throwing it away during this virus yeah. thing. I hope yeah, she that was that was before all this. So I bet you she uh, she's got herself into shape by now. So that's funny, right? Okay, <laughs> so you have written several books, actually. Tell us a little about. You don't have to go. I know you've written probably too many to to list here. How many have you written? Um, you know, I think the time of Jacob's trouble, which just came out, I think that was number seventeen. Okay. I'd have to go back and count, but I think that was 17. Okay. So me and my daughters, we were looking at your website yesterday and I like to scope out, you know, my guests, you know, <laughs> I like to get to know you guys before I bring you on here. So I feel like we're, we're BFFs before we even talk, but uh-huh. we were looking at all your books and I didn't realize how many Christmas books you'd written. And my girls were like, oh, mom, we have to get these because my girls, they are readers. If you oh, like, awesome. they, they just, they go through books like they fly through books all the time. And so anyhow, they were freaking out about all your Christmas books. And I was like, okay, we'll have to look into those. And so some of those have been turned into movies, correct? Yes. Yes. Six of them have been turned into movies. Um, They started out with CBS television. CBS picked up three of them and then they stopped making movies because they said it was cheaper and easier to make reality shows if you remember when they became all the rage and the big boom several years ago so they stopped making them and then the books just kind of got picked up by different networks whatever networks were left (laughs) to do tv movies and pick them up and some of them held close to the book they held close to the themes and then others of them i just kind of tilted my head and said I wonder if they even picked up the book, let alone read it. (laughs) This is so far from what I have written. Um, But yeah, it's kind of fun to watch them come to life on screen. That's so weird to me when they do that with movies. I don't understand. Because I'm like, if the book was good, I don't don't understand changing it for the movie. Yeah, (laughs) I I don't get it at all. I really don't. Yeah. Yeah. There was one... There was one book that became a movie. I didn't even talk about it. I didn't even promote it because the only thing that was correct from the book was the main character's name. That was it. (gasps) Wow. Yeah, everything else was different. And I thought, well, I can't even promote this. (laughs) It's not even the book. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. Um, I'm really hoping this one you just wrote turns into movie. Do you, have, you think it will? You know, I don't know, Rachel, because the theme of the end times, for some reason, has gotten a bad rap mm-hmm. over the last several decades. It's gotten um, just a really bad name. And I don't understand why, because the Bible calls it our blessed hope. The return of Christ is our blessed hope. It's what we are anticipating and look and looking up for. Jesus himself said, when you see these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is near. He's telling us to look up when we begin to see all these signs that are happening. And for some reason, the church 
just went silent on it. I, I think, you know, when you and I were talking before we started recording, you said, along with what I had written in the book, that when I was a young girl, pastors and visiting pastors that would come to our church would talk about the return of Christ. They would teach about it. And it wasn't a scary thing at all. Mm -hmm. It was teaching from the Bible. And it was the whole counsel of God. We don't just pick and choose what we what we teach from the Bible. There's a lot of messages about love and forgiveness and mercy and grace and service and compassion. And all those are awesome. But we need the whole counsel of God. And prophecy takes up over 27% of the Bible. And prophecy in the Bible is God telling us what is going to happen in the future. So he's, he's told us what's going to happen in the future. In Isaiah 46, he says, I declare the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done. God is the one who tells us what is going to happen. He told us that from the very beginning. And you know what's awesome, Rachel, is there is no other religious text in the world that has even one fulfilled prophecy. And so far, the Bible has 500 fulfilled prophecies, fulfilled with 100% accuracy. So why wouldn't we want to pay attention to what God says is going to happen in the end, what Jesus calls the end of the age? He says, and then the end will come. So we know that this world, as we know it, is going to come to an end, and he's going to refurbish this earth. It's going to be awesome. Everything's going to be made new. Jesus says, behold, I am coming. I'll make all things new. Everything's going to be new. There's not going to be any more sin. There's not going to be any more disease, any more killing, any more sex trafficking, any more bigotry, any more racism. All of it's going to be gone. So why wouldn't we want to know about that? Why wouldn't we want to know what God says about the end? Why wouldn't we want to know about what the Bible says about what to look for in the signs of the times? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up about that the Bible is the only book that has prophecies that have actually been fulfilled. Because I was just reading that actually in, in your book last night. One of the things I love about this book is that it's a novel, but then at the back of the book, you can turn there and read about where that's found in the Bible or the history behind it or whatever. And that was something that I read that I thought was really neat. And in response to what you just said about why would we not want to learn, what is your perspective on why we don't? I mean, it's almost like the last you know decade or two, for sure, it's, it's a topic that people just don't talk about and they really don't want to talk about. Yeah, you know, I've thought about that so many times. I know that Pastor Tom Hughes even wrote an entire article about why pastors don't talk about the return of Jesus. And in it, he included fear. A lot of people are fearful, even people within the church. But the only reason that they would be fearful is because they haven't read the word. They haven't heard the teaching. You would be fearful because you are not in Christ because the Bible says it is those who are in Christ who shall be, um, when, when Jesus calls to his people, he calls first the dead in Christ, and then all those who are living who are in Christ. So the only reason to be afraid is if you are not in Christ, 
if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you are not walking with Jesus, that would be a cause of fear. Why people in the church would be afraid, again, I can only think that it's because of biblical illiteracy, that they just don't know the word. They haven't read it for themselves. They haven't studied it for themselves. And because their pastor or their teachers within their church body haven't taught on it. So I don't know. It's very confusing. It's it's frustrating because as I was sitting in church one Sunday, uh, this happened many years ago, but I actually thought, I wonder how many times I have heard this exact message in my life. <laughs> and I don't remember what the pastor was talking about. But the next Sunday, I thought the same thing. I thought, wow, how many times have I heard this message since I was a little girl and accepted Jesus as my Savior? When? How many times have I heard this? And week after week, I would ask myself that same question. But then I would have to check my spirit and say, okay, there may be somebody here who has not heard about the prodigal son or the good Samaritan. So I would have to just really check my spirit. But week and after week after week, it kept going on. And then I thought, wow, you know what pastors never talk about anymore is the return of Christ. It's not even mentioned. It's never covered in any of these messages. And then I thought, it's actually been decades for me since I've heard this, because when I was growing up, my pastor or visiting pastors would talk about the return of Christ. And it wasn't the whole message, but just somewhere in the message, they would say, Jesus is coming again, or Jesus is returning. And it wasn't a scary thing at all. It was something that we knew. It was something that we were looking for and anticipating. Just like Jesus said, look up, raise up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. So it was something that we looked forward to. But the message just disappeared within the church. And I just wanted to use this book in a way. I, I just believe that the Lord deposited this idea into my heart to write it as three quarters novel and then one quarter end note teaching so that the generations after me, the millennials, Generation X, who, I mean, Generation Z, who have not heard th this teaching would be captivated first by the story, but go into the back of the book and read through those scriptures from the Bible so that they can hear what the Lord has to say about the time of the end. Yeah. And you know, I think you know this, but this book is extremely timely I, I love how God's hand works. Um, I'm, I'm imagining you had no idea that the coronavirus was about to hit whenever you wrote this book. When did it release? It just released um, March 18th. Okay. Yeah. That, so it's brand that, new. Yeah. That's just crazy to me because I will throw one more speculation out that I have about one of the reasons why I think that this topic is not talked a whole lot about is, you know, I am... I guess I'm in my 30s. What generation does that make me? I never know. I never can. Uh, well, you would be a millennial. Yeah. So I'm in, I'm in that category of people who, you know, we just haven't, you know, I, I did hear the message a lot growing up as a kid, but in the last decade, I have not heard it at all. You know, I was thinking recently, before this whole COVID-19 hit, I had had a heart to heart with the Lord and I just confessed to him that, that I sometimes don't 
this is going to sound weird, but here, hang with me that I don't always crave going to heaven because I love the things of this earth so much. Like I love my family. I love the things that we've, you know, like all the stuff. And I, I just asked him, I said, Lord, would you give me a craving to want to be in heaven more than I want to be here on earth? And I, and I felt like, you know, then of course, then this whole thing hit and I've, you know, I've had all my security blankets rattled lately um, from, from things that we can no longer buy to, you know, things that, you know, trips we we're supposed to take that we can no longer take. And, and I was thinking about, I mean, I now more than ever in my life, I'm like, okay, I'm ready for heaven. Let's do this. Like I see how all these things and, you know, that I had been clinging to, even as a believer, I've been clinging to material things. I've been clinging to the American dream, if you will. Now that those are being stripped, it makes me realize I, I don't, those things are passing. Like even if I attain them, they're not coming with me. They're, they're here today, gone tomorrow kind of a thing. And, and so the Lord, you know, he just really showed me that I feel like in my generation, we have been taught so much about this whole American dream and pursuing your dreams and going after big things. And, and while I'm of course a huge advocate of, you know, pursuing your God-given dreams, sometimes I feel like even as believers, especially in my generation, we have been taught to build ourselves a kingdom, you know, here on earth and um, mm-hmm. and to really kind of, you know, it's all the self-promotion and the influencer stuff and all that stuff. And so anyway, this is all just the thoughts rattling around in my head that, that my generation, even as believers, were not always taught and reminded how how fleeting this earth is <laughs> and how you know build all the wealth you want it's not coming with you you know build all the fame you want it's not going it's not going before you you know that's that's not a heavenly mindset so what are your thoughts on just hearing me kind of share my perspective if that resonates with you on this topic or not it does yes when you were when you were talking about that it reminds me that that Paul gives a picture of end time society in 2 Timothy 3, it's in the very first few verses. And he says that the hallmark of end time society are going to be three loves. He says we'll be lovers of self. And when you think of lovers of self, <laughs> we <laughs> look look no farther than social media. <laughs> yeah. We will find all sorts of self-love there. Um, you know, when you think of lovers of self, it, it's it's humanism. It's been a rapid secularization of our culture and paganization of our culture. It's humanism. Uh, Paul also says we'll be lovers of money, which is materialism, the comfort that materialism brings us. Paul also says that we're going to be lovers of pleasure. And when you think, I mean, think of our quarantine right now because of this virus. Then think back to World War II when my mother was a little girl and how they had to suffer. Think about our suffering. Yeah. You know, we, we, we have Netflix, we have Amazon Prime, we have Amazon Music, we have a little device that slips into our back pocket that we can FaceTime with any of our family members around the world. So just think about the lovers of pleasure that we are. Paul also says that we'll be without self-control, we'll be without love will be rash. So as you were talking about that, it just reminded me of those, of those, the picture of end time society right there, the characteristics of the last days in second Timothy. And 
you know, it's not just you, it's all of us. We've become so accustomed to this fast food culture, this culture of convenience and comfort that, you know, for something like this to happen, it's like, wait a second, what, what do you mean I can't go out and do exactly what I want to do whenever I want to do it? But it does remind us to look up, to open the word, to go before our father, to ask forgiveness to our father in heaven, because things are looking up and more and more things are going to continue to happen in the world, because that's what the Bible says. We're given the signs of the times. Jesus himself talks about them in Matthew 24, in Mark 13, in Luke 21. His apostles ask him about the sign of his coming and of the end of the age. And Jesus goes through all sorts of signs there. And Rachel, we're not only seeing the signs as previous generations obviously saw the signs. Your grandparents, when they were children, saw the signs. Your great grandparents, when they were children, they saw the signs. The signs have been around, but there's now a convergence of signs. Everything is happening all at once, and they are accelerating. Every single day, we hear about an earthquake somewhere. Just last night, there was one in Idaho, of all places. Wow. We hear about fearful events. You know, Jesus talks about, he talks about famine. He talks about pestilence. The word for pestilence is plague. It's disease. So COVID-19 fits right into that. So we see all of these things happening at once. And Jesus told us not to be deceived. Don't be deceived. He says that right away to his apostles. It's the first thing out of his mouth. He doesn't want his believers to be deceived in that time prior to his coming again, because, and he mentions it several times in Matthew 24 about deception, telling us deception is going to be rampant. And so he says, keep watch, be aware, stay alert, be on guard. And so for people like you, Rachel, who's trying to get the word out, trying to get people into the word so that they'll know what what's happening and what's going on and to know to look up to seek our father to go before him to pray for humility pray for forgiveness for us for our country and and to come before him because things are looking up yeah oh it's so good that's so, so good. This is such a timely message. You even mentioned in there about how, you know, our generations that in past saw signs of the times and now we're still seeing signs of the times. And you talked about in your book, I think this was at the back of the book, that part is called Where in the Word. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, and you had mentioned that sometimes, you know, prophecies where people get tripped up is that prophecies can take a long time to come to pass from the time that it's spoken to when it actually comes into existence and we can actually get tripped up a little bit by that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know for some Christians, especially unbelievers may not have experienced this as much, but some Christians have been maybe a little jaded or turned off by the whole, oh, you know, the return of Christ, because, you know, there've been pastors and, and prophets who predicted, well, he's coming in this time and he didn't or, you know, that kind of a thing. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. If you hear anybody who's trying to put a date on the return of Christ, turn it off immediately mm. and run, run from that teaching because it's false teaching. It is incorrect. Jesus himself said, 
I don't know. <laughs> the angels don't know when uh, I'm coming back. Only the Father in heaven. There's going to be an appointed time. Habakkuk says that the vision awaits its appointed time. There is an appointed time for each prophecy in the Bible. There's going to be at some point in time, some point in the future, God is going to tell Jesus, go get your bride. And he will do that. And that is according to scripture. There are many people who say, well, it's already been 2000 years. Obviously, he's not coming back. But the Bible also talks about them. The Bible talks about scoffers in the last days who will literally say people have been saying he's coming back from the beginning and yet he still hasn't come back. They are fulfilling prophecy. (laughs) They don't even realize they are fulfilling prophecy. We always have to remember that prophecy unfolds. We want these prophecies to happen right away, but they don't do that. That's not how God works. It unfolds. And there were Daniel himself was confused about a prophecy because he'd been given a vision. Uh, The angel of the Lord was telling him something and he didn't get it. He didn't understand at all. And, And in Daniel 12, he's kind of wringing his hands and he says, I heard but I didn't understand. So I asked my Lord, what would the outcome of this be? He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. So we know there is a time of the end. We know that there are prophecies that aren't going to make any sense until we get to that time of the end. And then the verse goes on to say, many will be purified made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. And there are prophecies right now, Rachel, there are signs of the times right now that are unfolding before our eyes because we are in that time of the end. Again, nobody, nobody knows the date. But we know the season. We know that we are in the season of the end because the signs are all evident right now. They're converging and accelerating and and happening at once. And there are so many prophecies and signs from the Bible that absolutely did not make any sense to previous generations, but do make sense to this generation because just like Daniel says, We are that generation that understands because we are the ones that seeing that scroll being unrolled at this time of the end. Just for an example, when my parents were kids, they only had a radio. They didn't have TV when they were growing up. Um, And there is a there's a scripture that talks in Revelation 11 about the two witnesses in Jerusalem, if you remember this. It says that the two witnesses are laying dead on the street in Jerusalem and that people from every tribe, language, people and nation are able to gaze on their bodies. Now, when my parents were kids with only a radio in their home, that prophecy would have made absolutely no sense to them. How in the world can people around the world gaze at bodies on the other side of the world in Jerusalem. Hmm. Well, now we don't even think about that. (laughs) It's like, you know, I mean, that's just silly for us to even think about that because we just, 
you know, lift our phone out of our back pocket and we can watch whatever we want. We can watch a baby panda or a baby hippo, you know, in the Cincinnati Zoo. We can watch whatever we want. So that's not even a question anymore. And so there are so many prophecies that didn't make sense, but they do make sense to us. And there are actually so many that I put together. It's just a limited series podcast, but it's called Things Are Looking Up. And it's taken from that scripture where Jesus says, look up, your redemption is near. And I kind of go through prophecies that didn't make sense to those previous generations, but do make sense to us because we're the ones that are seeing it come together. We know that things are looking up. We know that we're in the season of the Lord's return. And that's not scary. That's exciting because he is our blessed hope. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So the podcast name is Things Are Looking Up, correct? Yes. Okay. That's so good. And one other thought I had on, oh, I have so many thoughts on the things that, that you're sharing here. For anybody, for anybody who is listening today, who maybe fear actually kind of rises up when we talk about this topic, what would you say to them? You know, I would say, well, grab the Bible, (laughs) begin reading it. But, you know, a lot of people, they don't know where to begin. Begin in 1 John, book about love. It's there in the back of the New Testament. Start with 1 John, read 2 John, then go back to the book of John, begin reading there. Such a book of, of love. But if you are confused, again, that's why I wrote The Time of Jacob's Trouble, to kind of lead people step by step through this, what's happening in our world. You know, people have questions. They are literally saying, what in the world is going on? And the Bible has those answers. It's all there in the Bible because God laid out the end for us. So we know how it's going to end. You know, what's interesting about the book of Revelation, Rachel, is that there are many people, and I do mean many people, who think that it is a book of allegory. Allegory only, just a story. But we're told seven times in that book that it's prophecy. And prophecy does unfold. It will unfold according to God's time. So why in the world did God write all the books in the Bible, have them be true historical facts, and then suddenly the the last book is a book of allegory? It's not. That's why he told us seven times it's prophecy. And so we can read through that, and it can be scary, because when uh, Jesus starts opening those seals on the scroll in heaven, and God's wrath starts pouring down on the world, we're told very early on that one quarter of the world will die by sword, it will die by famine, by plague, by beasts of the earth, one quarter of the world. I mean, what are we? Do we have like 8 billion people in the world right now? Think about one quarter of them dying just in the initial conflicts of the tribulation period. That is scary. It's scary to read. And I think that's why a lot of people want to ignore it. But, you know, through through Revelation, God gives God gives grace after grace. He has his hundred and forty four thousand Jewish evangelists that are scattered throughout the world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has those two witnesses in Jerusalem who will be preaching. There's still going to be Bibles. There's going to be books. There's going to be uh, whatever we can find on on the internet at that time. 
I don't mean we, <laughs> I don't plan to be here for that, <laughs> but you know, whatever people can find. But that grace is still going to be available and God will use plagues at that time. It says that the two witnesses are going to be able to inflict whatever plague that they desire. They're going to have that kind of power from God himself. So plagues are going to be falling on the earth, all of them in an effort so that people will look up, so that they'll have ears to hear, so that they'll have eyes to see who he is. And God will continue to offer that that grace to people like, here I am, here I am, here I am, reach out and, and take me. But it is also going to be a terrifying time to be alive. And I don't think that there's any way as a writer that I would be able to portray that time. In the time of Jacob's trouble, it's only the first week. It's literally only like seven days that are in, encapsulated in that book. In the next book, I go through three and a half years. And I don't think in any way, shape or form, any writer would be able to to write about what those days are going to possibly be like. I think they're going to be worse than we could ever imagine. But again, God's grace will be poured out on people. His spirit will be poured out on people. That's what the Bible says. He will pour out his his spirit on people in those days so that people will come to him. So when you, when you say what, what can people do who fear God can use fear to draw people to himself. Don't just shove the fear down, but really dig into God's word. Ask his Holy Spirit for help as you read. Even as you open the book, The Time of Jacob's Trouble, I prayed over that book, Rachel. I pray over readers who will read it so that they will have ears to hear and they will have eyes to see. And it's always disappointing when I do hear from readers. I heard from a couple just recently one woman said, why did you include all this Bible stuff? <laughs> she, wow. And she stopped, she stopped reading. She didn't want to read it. And then another woman said, this book was entirely too scriptured for me. And again, she didn't want to read it. But again, like I said earlier, if God is the only God who has told us the very end from the very beginning, why wouldn't we want to know that? Why wouldn't we want to see what he's laid out for the end of days? So for those who are fearing, just pray that the Holy Spirit will lift that from you and give you ears to hear and eyes to see as you read his word. Yeah. And, you know, I found it interesting. Uh, by the way, I, for one, appreciate the scripture in the Bible. So um, <laughs> I'm sorry that, you, that those opinions came in, but I found it Interesting and actually heartbreaking because it is true how some of the characters in the book, whenever it first happened, I won't say too much because I want people to mm-hmm. to read it themselves, but um, how their speculations of where these people had gone to were aliens took them or, you know, it's some terrorist act, you know, and people just disappeared and, and they, they could easy, more easily believe that something like that happened as opposed to, oh, what all these Christians have been saying about Jesus returning is true. Mm. And, you know, it's, you know, in a way not laughable, but when you first read it, like, oh, 
well, how would aliens do that or whatever? But the sad part is it's very true of probably what will happen, unfortunately, in the world in which we live. You know, people not wanting to to receive that is what happened. And so I loved how you you painted that so well. I'm also curious, one, one, I have, I guess, just a couple more questions for you before we hop off here is, how can we, so when I was in college, and I did go to a secular uh, college first undergrad, but when I was in college, we had, there was a certain part of the campus where there would be guys standing there with signs yelling, you know, Jesus is returning and, and all this. And they kind of became the laughing stock of the university, if you will. You know, people had nicknames for them and, you know, people would kind of just gather to watch them kind of a thing. And so I'm curious, what is a way for those of us who are believers who are going, and part of why I'm even, you know, bringing you on the podcast is because I do want this word to get out there. Like I want to do my part of saying, hey, you know, I have this this platform through a podcast and I want more people to know about this book so that they can read it and can, you know, hear our conversation and, and want to dig, dig deeper for themselves. But how can we as believers talk about this topic without it turning people away or without them thinking we've just lost our mind? I know there's a little element of them, yes, thinking we've lost our mind because if they're, they're not believers, you know, they don't get it. But what is a way we can do it in a way that's, that's grace-filled? Well, the Bible says make the most of every opportunity. And most of us are on some form of social media. And a lot of what you see on social media is usually memes, <laughs> you know, funny memes, <laughs> and we all get a kick out of those. There are, of course, people uh, sharing vitriol and a lot of bitterness and hatred on there as well. But that is your, that each of us have that platform, whatever that is. If it's uh, Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or, or whatever you're on, that is your platform. You have people, it could be you've got a hundred friends on there, or you have thousands of friends on there, but that's your platform. And you can use that to draw people to the Lord. And, and not just the good verses. I, there's a guy on, on my uh, Facebook, but he will actually share all the good, sweet, charming verses of the Bible. And there are many people who will do that. But they won't share the ones that will really, you know, where iron sharpens iron and one that's going to challenge someone's thinking. And when we see all these things that are happening in the world, and everybody sees them, everybody feels it. If you don't feel that something's happening in the world, I don't know what world, you know, you're living in because there is just so much going on right now in our world. And you can use your platform to share the hope of Jesus, that Jesus says, hey, these things are going to happen. They're going to happen. But look up. You Put your hope still in me. Put your faith in me. Put your trust still in me. I still have the world in my hand. I'm still in control. The Bible says God raises kings and he lowers kings. We tend to politicize everything, whatever president is in the White House. Oh, my goodness. We just send, uh, you know, swords and daggers (laughs) through through the Internet toward that person in the White House. But God says, I'm the one. I'm the one who raises kings and lowers kings. The Bible also says, pray for those in authority. So, again, use your platform to say today 
I'm praying for the Speaker of the House. Today, I am praying for Congress. <laughs> Today, I am praying for the president and this entire task force um, surrounding COVID-19. Today, I am praying for our for my mayor. It, just use your platform as as a place of of hope, as a place that will take people into Scripture. Share those verses on the in the Bible that aren't necessarily the most pleasant you know, the most feel good in nature, but, but use your platform. So that, that's really the easiest thing that I can say is that we live in such an age of technology that literally almost every single one of us has that sort of platform. That's so true. That's how I've always tried to view my social media platform. And it's hard not to get sucked into other things, I I admit, but uh, I agree if we could all use it to be a light into our world, that would be amazing. And so speaking of platforms, where can people find you in the online space? Well, my website is donnavanleer.com. Like I said, we just did this limited series podcast, and that can be heard at donnavanleer.com slash backslash uh, looking up, or it can be wherever you listen to podcasts. So if you have a favorite spot where you listen to podcasts, just look for Things Are Looking Up. I'm on Facebook, Donna Van Leer, and Twitter. Uh, I've been told I don't use either one of them well or <laughs> appropriately. <laughs> I'm definitely not too um, uh, computer or technologically savvy, so uh, um, you know, social media savvy, but I do get on there uh, as well. So you can find me in those places. Okay, great. Well, Donna, thank you again for taking time to come on here. Thank you for uh, using your gift to write these beautiful words and just making these stories come to life. I'm excited for people to listen to this episode and then get your book in their hands. Uh, Thank you, Rachel, for, for taking time. There are very few people who really want to talk about Bible prophecy. There are very few who want to talk about the soon return of Christ. So I appreciate your love for the word and, and your love for the fact that we are anticipating his return. So thank you. Friends, I know this is the first time I've brought a topic like this on the show, but I felt strongly in my heart that I was supposed to give this topic a voice. I pray that you'll lean into the conversation that I had with Donna and pick up a copy of her book, The Time of Jacob's Trouble. In fact, a copy of that book is being given away to a few lucky listeners this week. So to be on that list, all you have to do text the phrase Real Talk Giveaway to the number 44222 right there on your cell phone. You will be prompted then to enter your email address. And then I randomly select winners for the guest books just by being on that list. You're entered to win. All right, friends, that's all that we have for today. I pray this episode brought you one step closer to getting real, living free, and pursuing your God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.